you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. So you can turn over to Luke chapter 2 this morning. All right. And um, this, you know, I, I want us to talk. We've been in the Gospels for a long time. But I was reading through, I spent some time, and probably most of you do, reading through the, what we call Christmas stories, <laughs> the birth of Jesus stories. And primarily in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2, we have a lot of information about the birth of Jesus and about his early life, and what went on prior to the birth of Jesus. We find that mostly in those chapters, as far as a, a New Testament description goes. And uh, so this morning, I just we're not going to go through the entire chapter, but I do want to look at a number of things. And what, um, you know, and I forgot to look this up, and I don't know the number. Um, I'm sure you can Google it. I don't know how many, just, it, just around the birth of Jesus, there were loads of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled throughout his life. I mean, and Matthew really makes that clear. In his whole gospel, he goes through and he'll say, this happened to fulfill what was written, usually by Isaiah, but many other prophets. And I want us to think about this morning that the things that we're reading, the events that we're reading, number one, these are going to be familiar scriptures to us. We sing about them. You know, we just sang about the angels being at the birth and all of that. And I think, you know, most of us, since we were little kids, we grew up with those songs. We grew up with the knowledge of this, uh, these events happening. But I want us to think about two things. These were real people and real events that took place. This is not just a story. And number two... These things were prophesied in detail about 700 years before they happened. 700 years. And they were prophesied in detail. And Jesus fulfilled them. Even in, Jesus wasn't, when he was born, he didn't come out thinking about the prophecies he was fulfilling. He was a baby, okay? But nevertheless, they happened just the way they were prophesied 700 years before. What would that be, 1323, 700 years ago? 1323, think about that. That was that long ago. We were, there weren't even, uh, Europeans hadn't even, well, yeah. I was going to say Europeans hadn't even come and found the New World, but I know your people were already in northern Minnesota making Lefsa, but... <laughs> But for, but for most of us, you know, I mean, it was that long ago. I don't even know. I should have I Googled that too. What was going on in 1323, you know? But I want us to get the impact of that because, and I, I, don't, I hope this is an encouraging statement, never get up, give up on a word from God. It's not necessarily going to take 700 years for what he has spoken to you to be fulfilled. But we should never give up on a word from God because every word from God contains within it the power of fulfillment 
And the Lord does bring his will to pass. And in many things that he speaks into our lives, many, many, many of them are for us, for today, for our families. We stand on those scriptures. We pray those scriptures. We declare those scriptures. The things that the Lord has said, we share our testimonies about it. That's, it's for us. It's for now. But as we're doing that, we are also pulling on the future. We are pulling by faith on things that may never take place in our lifetime. But between 700 BC and the time Jesus came, there were people of faith holding on to those prophecies. And that was important. God decided it. We didn't make this up. God decided he would do things in the earth with people of faith, that he would work with human beings. He gave us authority in this planet and He's he spent you know, generations and generations coming down through all of the lineage down to Jesus so that this could take place so that you and I could sit here in the relationship that we have today. And, and there were people all the way along holding on to those prophecies. So it's just important for us to realize it's, it's important for us to hang on to the things that the Lord speaks to us. And if, if not for us, than for future generations, okay? So let's begin uh, in Luke chapter two. And let's, again, I didn't have anywhere near, we're gonna go through a lot more scriptures. We're not going through the entire chapter. We're just gonna pull some pieces out. But uh, I didn't have anywhere near enough room to put them all on the screen. So I will, you know, you'll just need to look at your Bible. But I'm gonna begin in verse one. And this is from the New International, actually. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his town, his own town, his own hometown, wherever their, wherever their family name was, they went to that town to register for this census. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. They were there for some years. They weren't just, this wasn't just a, you know, stop in at the motel and then drive back home. This was, they were there for some years. Um, but they, uh, it came time for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Notice this, this sentence right here. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, you know, there's a lot of, you can, you can read about it. I'm not going to take time on it. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't a holiday inn. This wasn't a, it wasn't a motel in this town. Really, they usually stayed with relatives and there, because people stayed with relatives, they usually have a portion of the lower part of their house that was open to people to come in. In this case, everybody's there that belongs to this family, this family line for the census. There was no room with relatives. There was no room anywhere. You can read a lot of different ideas about what that means with the inn. But um, it, it says she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, okay? So to us, I mean, we're used to the picture, we're used to the manger scene, we're used to all that, but we're going to see in just a minute that that whole thing was a fulfillment of prophecy. 
before we get to that, I, I just want to say that in the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, it was said that he would come from three different places, which of course isn't really possible. It doesn't make any sense. They, they argued about this. The scholars, schol- Bible scholars tend to argue it's what they like to do. It's why they're on the earth. So they, at that time too, they, they argued about what is this? Because it said that he would come from Bethlehem. It said he would be called out of Egypt and that he would come from Galilee. There were different prophecies for all of those. And, and I'll just mention them to you. So it was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, that wasn't where his family lived. His family lived in Nazareth. But because of this event, timing, okay, because the census was taken, the family was in Bethlehem, and he was born where the prophecy said he would be born. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, that means from, from beyond the beginning, from ancient times. And it goes down a little farther. It says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So Micah, about 700 years prior to this birth, prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. And even though they didn't live in Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem. So that's the fulfillment of one prophecy. And then we all know the story. We just sang a little bit about it today. Matthew chapter 2 tells us about the three wise guys, right? And and they came, and really we don't know there were three. There were three gifts. We don't know how many wise men came. Um, but, you know, how many can you put at a manger scene? You know, I mean, how many statues can we have in our house? So we just limit it to three. But this was a couple of years later after the birth, because it says they came to the house where he was. So they were still staying there in Bethlehem, but they came, quote, to worship the one born king of the Jews. Well, they went to Herod, who was the king of the Jews. He was Roman. He was actually half Roman, half Jew, but he was the the ruler over that region. He was the official king of the Jews. And they went to him and said, hey, we came to worship the one who was born king of the Jews. Well, that didn't go over well with Herod because he was king of the Jews. And some of the things he did, it's an interesting story if you go back and read about him. It's Herod the Great. There were three Herods in the Bible. He, he has this, on the one hand, he did a whole lot for the public. He built buildings. He restored the temple. He did a lot of things for the Jews. And yet at the same time, he was an incredibly cruel person. And, and it's just this dichotomy when you read through the things that he did. And you have to put some of them in the context of the time, you know, because we have different sensibilities. But anyway, so they come to Herod. They tell him that. Well, he tells them, okay, you know, first of all, he goes to the scholars, to the scribes and the Pharisees and says, where's this baby supposed to be born? And they tell him Bethlehem. And he tells the wise men, go and worship him and then come back and let me know exactly where he is, okay? 
because uh, I want to go worship him too, which was a total lie. He wanted to go kill him so that he could remain king of the Jews. But anyway, they did that. And uh, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. This is after the wise men left, right? They came, they worshiped Jesus, they gave the they gave the gifts and all of that. And when they left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Okay? Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, which was about four years later. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, this is from Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt I, I called my son. So he was born in Bethlehem by prophecy, and he was called out of Egypt, according to Hosea 11. He fulfilled both of those prophecies just through, not through healing the sick, not through working miracles, not just through doing what, what he did, what he was there to do. Okay? And finally, then, we know Jesus was raised by his parents in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. So he also came out of Galilee. So this impossible prophecy that human beings, and we do this, argued over, and this is the kind of thing that people will say, well, see, the Bible contradicts itself. It says he was going to come from Bethlehem, says he was going to come from Egypt, says he was going to come from Galilee. I mean, how can that be? He came from all three, okay? He came from all three. He fulfilled all those prophecies just through his birth and early life. And I'll just read you the verses because they're good. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. And this is in the same passage, the same prophecy, where we find just a little farther down for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Nobody's ever going to defeat him. You don't have to panic about stuff that's going on in the world. Of his government and his peace, of the increase of it, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we just, I just wanted to see that, you know, all through the life of Jesus, there's a fulfillment of these prophecies that were hanging there for 700 years or more. Okay? So let's go down to verse 8 here in Luke chapter 2. Back to Luke chapter 2. Go down to verse 8 and look at this. It says, and again, we just sang about this. Try to let the Holy Spirit, and that's been my prayer today, Holy Spirit, bring these passages alive to us. We're so familiar with them. You almost can't read some of these without singing the verses, you know. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all people. 
Today in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then notice this. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now that may be unusual. I don't know how unusual it was then. But these angels say, this is going to be a sign to you that when you go in, you're going to find this baby wrapped in cloths. Some of your translations say swaddling cloths or swaddling clothes or whatever. And lying in a manger. Okay, now we know, and we've studied this many times, I'll just repeat it today, a sign is something that happens in the physical realm, something we can see that points to a greater spiritual truth. Okay, well, we, we know that when we experience a miracle, even an answer from prayer, an answer for prayer or, or a miracle in our lives, that miracle, that answered prayer points, it's a sign, it points to the person, to the nature of God, to his ways, to his methods, to what he will do. We receive a healing in our body that's wonderful, but that also points to the fact that God is by nature a healer and that God, if he has done it, he will do it again a sign is always something we can see that points to something greater. And I've used this example so many times. We have a sign out front that says Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. Well, that sign is not the church. In reality, you are the church. But, you know, the church building is over here. That's the sign. There's a sign right out there that says Crested Butte, 28 miles. Well, that's not Crested Butte. It's a sign that points to where Crested Butte exists. It's the same thing. And so he's saying... They are saying, these angels are saying, you're going to find this baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. That will be a sign to you. Well, why was, why was that a sign to them? There's two reasons, okay? And the first one has to do not so much with the baby in the manger, but the fact that that baby was born from a virgin, okay? And, and Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years before Christ prophesied, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, so there was that part of it that fulfilled prophecy that here's a virgin who gave birth to this son. Secondly, and I found this really interesting, I can't say 100%, you read things like this, I can't say 100% that this is right, but it, it feels right. Um, there are a lot of Bible scholars who believe uh, in that area outside of Bethlehem, which wasn't very far from Jerusalem, um, there were what were at the time called overseer shepherds that oversaw a specific flock of sheep from which the Passover lambs were taken. Okay, so so the, there was this flock, that's where they took the Passover lambs to sacrifice for the nation on Passover. And they were, there was a, a watchtower there that was, it was called the watchtower of the flock. And everybody knew who the flock was. So there were shepherds there that were to watch over that specific flock. And there are a lot of Bible scholars that believe that that's what these verses are talking about. Those were the shepherds that the angels came to. 
And I'll just read this note to you. This is a note you can find in the Passion Translation. It says, It was on the lower floor of this watchtower that the birthing of the Passover lambs would take place. Selected ewes that were about to give birth would be brought there. After the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves because Passover lambs had to be unblemished, no bruise, no broken bones. They had to be perfect, okay? So here's this baby wrapped in the cloths that were the same cloths they would wrap the Passover lamb in, in the place where the Passover lamb should be. That was a sign to those shepherds that here was this baby and that this baby you know, if they got it, if they understood the sign, and they probably didn't until later, this baby was going to be the ultimate Passover sacrifice, right? And we know that Jesus, it says in our Bibles, that Jesus is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb. Does that make sense to you? So there's a lot in there that we don't get because of our context, you know, we don't, we don't understand that. Um, So let's jump down to verse 15. Are you getting anything out of this today? Good. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them, them shepherds, okay, into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, this is incredible, shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. That's, that phrase means he has revealed something to us that we couldn't see with our natural minds. We couldn't see it with our natural eyes. He has revealed a spiritual truth through what happened here. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has revealed to us. The word thing in that sentence, let's go to see this thing, okay? That word thing is the Greek word rhema. And the Greek word rhema is nearly always in our Bibles, almost always translated word, a word from God. And it means a specific personal word from God. We know that Jesus is both the logos of God, which is also translated word, but it means the complete overview. He's the complete picture of who God is, the exact image of the Father, right? And, and he is the Logos. He is also the Rhema. He is that personal, spoken, breathed, immediate, walking with you, speaking to you word from God. All right? And the, and the shepherd said, let's go see this word. Let's go see this word. Well, the angels had just spoken a word to them. But how do you see a word? You know, you, you, you see a word when it's manifested. You can only see I mean, I guess you can see a word on the printed page, but you know what I'm saying. How do you see a thought that becomes a word, okay, that is spoken? And really, rhema, that's a spoken word. So how do you see a spoken word? They're talking about the fact that the word that was spoken, the word that was spoken to Isaiah, the word that was spoken to Hosea, the word that was spoken to Micah, 700 years ago now can be seen. And this baby is that word. We translate, I don't even know why we translate it thing, probably because we wouldn't, we wouldn't get it. We wouldn't understand what that meant. But they were saying, let's go see the manifestation of this word. Let's go see the word of God appearing before us. So Jesus is the physical manifestation 
of the word of God. The Bible tells us he was throughout eternity past the word of God. He took on flesh. John tells us he took on flesh. I probably have that written down here. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father. Jesus was and he is, he is, let's just think about this for a minute. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Rhema. Jesus is the embodiment and the guarantee of every word God has ever spoken. He was the embodiment and the guarantee of these prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before. He is the guarantee and the embodiment of every word God speaks to us. He is the manifestation. And when we think about it, he is the living word. He embodies the word. And your Bible is, is the written form of Jesus. It is the word of God in written form. So we have, we can look into the word. We can meditate on the word. We can draw the word into our hearts. We can let it change us. And we can also know that God will bring that word about as we believe it, as we pray it, as we declare it. Does that make sense to you? Luke chapter 1, verse 37 says, For with God nothing is ever impossible. This is what the angel said to Mary. She said, How in the world is this going to happen? You say, I'm going to have a kid. I have not been with anybody. I don't have a husband. I'm a virgin. And the angel said, with God, nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. We usually say that as every word from God, every promise from God, it contains, it is a seed, it contains life, it contains the power to bring itself to pass. All right, and here this was 700 years after it was first spoken into the earth. Here it is coming to pass. And those shepherds say, let's go see this word. Let's go see, let's go experience this word. Man, we need to get that in our hearts. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word that God speaks, that's rhema, the word that God speaks is alive and is full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and the marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. So I just ask you, what is written about you as a believer, about you and me? What are the promises? The Bible tells us that all the promises of God are yes and amen to us in Christ. What are the promises? What has God spoken over your life? We have a lot of folks out this morning because they're sick, their family's sick. This is no criticism. This is just life on earth. But I just encourage you, and I wanted to say this earlier in the service, I just encourage you right now, you all know, I mean, there's just tons of, of flu and junk going around. You don't have to have it. We all experience it. There's no condemnation when you get sick. There's none of that, and please don't hear that. I'm just saying, man, take hold of the word. It's alive. It's active. Take hold of it. Meditate it in your heart. Speak it out. 
Declare it over your family. Pray together. Grab your friends or grab husband and wife. Pray together. Release the word over your life. Fight against the things that the enemy, when the enemy's coming in to try and steal, kill, and destroy, always know he doesn't have a right to do it. We all experience it. We don't, none of us win every battle, but let's at least fight the battle. Let's at least take a stand against these things, not just for our families, but for people around us. Okay, and that's what we're here to do. What else you got to do? You know, what else you got to do in all this time? But stand on the word of God. You can trust the word because the word of God is truth and the nature of God is integrity and faithfulness and he will bring his word to pass. But we've got to be, we've got to, all of us, we've got to be taking it in on a regular basis for there to be real faith in our hearts. That's where it comes from. The Bible says, that faith comes by hearing the word, okay? So we've got to be taking it in. There is a process to this. But we, we I, I can't see just not, just letting life happen, you know? L- plenty of life happens even when you take a stand, okay? You're going to get plenty of life, so don't worry about that. But we don't have to just let life mow us down. God's given us something better than that. So I just encourage you, man. When I, when I, you know, when I get sick, I want to put on the Word of God. Get one of those bears. Get one of Jamie's Truth Be Bears. Stop changing the name. Get one of those bears, man. Put on the Word. Healed a dog a couple of weeks ago. We can, you know. Anyway, are you getting anything out of this? I'm just trying to be encouraging. I hope you're not hearing anything else. So, and then secondly, never give up on the words that God has spoken to you. We said that earlier. Here's so 700 years later. Let me just read one more verse. We'll move on. Habakkuk, well, it's two verses. Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. That means when you hear from God, write it down because you're going to forget it. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Write it down. Go back to it again and again till it really gets down in your heart. Say it out loud. Speak it out loud. We've, this is how we work. We've got to hear things about a dozen times before they get to us, okay, before they really get into our hearts. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that someone can, so that he who hears it, is what it says in other translations, can run with it, can act on it. For the, get this, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It certainly will come and it will not delay. I love that. Even though it lingers, it won't delay. Okay, God, you don't live in time. You know, I know you understand what it's like to live in time, but we live in time here. So sometimes you have to remind them. But it says it, it, it will not delay, or but it say it will not delay. I mean, it won't linger. Wait for it. It will come to pass. It will not delay. So I just encourage you, man, hang on to the words he's given you. Here are these people. 700 years later, this stuff is happening. You still with me this morning? Okay. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verses 17 and 19. This just gets, it just gets better. It says, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Okay, so they started talking about it, I guess. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary. Okay, 
Everybody was amazed, but Mary treasured up all these things. Guess what word is translated things there? Rhema. All these words from God. She treasured them up and pondered them in her heart. So everybody was amazed. That means that word means they were astonished. They were struck with a sense of awe. They were impressed. They probably said, wow, that's really cool. Or that's awesome. You know, they were impressed. They had, it impacted them, what they heard. But then for the most part, they went about their business. Okay. And then it says, but Mary, that word, but we know what it means, but it, it separates a sentence so that the last part of the sentence stands in contradiction to the first part. Okay. So, so everybody was amazed. There are a lot of people that are amazed when they hear the word of God. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. And that's okay. It's, it's not bad to be amazed. That's better than going, eh, eh baby born of a virgin, wrapped in the uh, Passover lamb. Yeah, big deal. Angels, yeah. It's way better than that to be awestruck by what you hear of the word. But then it says, but Mary did something more. And it says she treasured the words that she heard from these shepherds. She's hearing these things. I think Mary had more to overcome in the way of faith than just about anybody. She hears, first of all, she's 14 years old. An angel comes to her, says, yeah, I know you're a virgin. You're going to have a baby. And the Holy Spirit comes upon her and impregnates her. And she's clearly pregnant. She goes through all this stuff with family and Joseph. Joseph's like, well, I love her. I'm going to just put her away quietly. You know, I'm not going to make a big public spectacle of the fact that she's pregnant. I'll do this nicely. But man, you know, She's pregnant, I'm not marrying her. And an angel comes to Joseph and tells him what's going on. And so Joseph sticks with her. You know there were family issues. You know there were cultural issues. There were issues in the village. All of that. She had to go through all of that. And then she has this baby. And it's a baby. And this is the Messiah. He's going to save the world. But right now I have to change his dirty diaper. You know, I, I've got to feed him. If I put him out there, he's not going to save the world. He's going to die. If I set him over there for a week, he will die. He's a baby. And, and she has to keep in a place of faith. And we see it all through his ministry. We see her and the brothers come and say, call him, you know, he's teaching. Call him out of there. The guy's crazy. You know, she had to maintain her faith that that baby that she knew, think of all she went through. I imagine Jesus was a pretty good kid, okay? But still, it's your kid. And they're growing up. And that, you know, and she had to go through all of that. And, and the way that she did it, this is said about her a few times. It says she treasured the words. She treasured the testimonies. She treasured the prophecies. And that means she took them in she kept them close in order to watch over them. This is what we need to do with the words God speaks to our hearts. Take them in. Keep them close. You've got to keep them close. The devil will pry them out if, if you don't keep them close. It means she kept them safe. She kept them under lock and key in her heart. All the revelations that God was giving about this baby. She kept them under lock and key in her heart. I'm not letting anybody steal this word from me. 
And the same is true of you and I. What God speaks to us when a scripture comes alive, when the Lord speaks to you in your prayer time, when you hear a message and it just resonates, keep it close. Hang on to it. Don't let it just come and go because it will. It will. Okay? She treasured these things. She pondered them. It means to purposely put several things together and consider them together in the mind. I'm sure it had to do with what the angel had said to her, what had happened in between this miraculous birth, the angel showing up and talking to the shepherds, all of this stuff taking place. She pulled those things together. And we can pull words that the Lord speaks together. I've got a word. I haven't shared it yet. It hasn't been time. Uh, that the Lord spoke to me in prayer here on Wednesday morning, probably three weeks ago. I'm not sure. And I keep getting little pieces. I thought, I thought it would be for that Sunday. I thought it was a word he was giving us. And it will be, but not yet, apparently. I don't know why. Don't care. It just hasn't been time yet. And, but the Lord keeps giving me little more pieces, little more parts of this thing. I don't know if it's going to turn into a teaching or if it's a word of knowledge, word of wisdom for people. I, I think that's what it is. I think it'll lead to ministry. But I just keep, I wrote it down. And as the Lord gives me more, I write that down. And I just keep thinking on it. And I don't think on it all day, every day, but I keep bringing it up. A few times a week, I bring it up. I read through it. I think about it. I pray about it. And that's, you know, it's the same thing with a scripture that comes alive to you. That's called meditating on it. You run it. You revolve it in your mind. You think it through again and again. You speak it aloud to yourself. You pray it. You ask the Lord to give you revelation. It will increase. And that's what Mary was doing with all. She's putting these things together. She's pondering them in her heart. It builds faith. It leads you in the right direction. And it's just beautiful that, that the scripture says this about her a few times. And these were words, mostly, that she got secondhand. They were testimonies from a group of shepherds who came in and said, this is what happened, you know. These were, and it says the same thing when the wise men showed up and they'd followed this star from wherever, you know, to where that baby was a couple years later. He was a young child at that time. A couple years later, they'd follow this star and it says, Mary treasured these things up in her heart, okay? And I just believe, you know, I know there's some weird ideas about Mary out there. I think she has much to do to maintain her faith as anybody, any of us. Okay, can you do one more section? All right, that's good because we're going to. Um, So Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. This is kind of a little long passage here, but um, beginning in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Now this is this is eight days after the birth of Jesus. They take him to the temple for him uh, to be circumcised and, and all of that. All right. And there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which meant the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, which was circumcision. Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. So here's another person that had had a word from God 
and did the right thing and waited and stood and was in the right place when the time came, hadn't gotten distracted, hadn't walked away from it, believed it all the way up until it was manifested. Okay, and he says, now you dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. You know that this guy and Anna, who we're not going to read about, were in the temple. They were in Jerusalem praying this into the earth, praying the word they'd gotten from God into the earth and waiting expectantly with hope and faith for it. I'll try to finish this sentence. It just gets me. Okay. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So he's even talking about this, this Messiah is also for the Gentiles. That was not a common thought. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So he says, This child will cause the rising of many and the falling of many. Okay, this child, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. That truth is still causing the rising and falling of many based on whether they accept that or not. We're in a day in our country where more and more people are thinking, well, there are many ways to God. We, you know, and, and when, we, when we look at that, when we say, in fact, let me just, um, let me read a little bit down here from John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, So to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right, that really means the authority, to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Acts 4.12 tells us salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So that, so what, Simeon said was, he will cause the rising and falling of many. And it's talking about the fact that Jesus stands. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And when people have that revelation, they still get to choose. Do I accept him as Lord and Savior? Do I not? And, and, but, but Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't stop being the only way, truth, and life because we don't want to believe that. So he causes, he, he stands. He's a line in the sand. He is... He is the way, the truth, and life. I don't know how else to say it. He is the one, okay? We are saved when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible tells us. Because we believed, not because of anything we do, not because of any performance issue, none of that, we are saved when we put faith in him. And we are not saved. We are condemned When we don't believe, we have an option. We have a choice. God gave us choice at the beginning and he will honor that choice. 
I can't, I could go on for a long time. I, you know, I get into these things online and people are, and I understand they just don't understand the message of the gospel. And, and so they have all kinds of ideas about that. But this is what the word of God tells us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in accepting him, and we still all make mistakes, we sin, we repent, we do all kinds of things in our life. But if our faith is in him, we are saved. So, so he would cause the rising and falling of many. He is a sign that will be spoken against. We see that all the time. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There's a number of places in scripture that talk about truth revealing the thoughts of the heart. And the way it does that is it stands there like a rock. You know, and it, it says that Jesus is is can be the rock of foundation that we can build our life upon, or it can be the rock which we stumble over. He can be the rock that we stumble over. But truth does that. It reveals the thoughts of the heart because it doesn't change. So what's in us comes out. I accept it. I realize that. I don't even understand it fully, but I take it. Or no, I reject that. I have a different idea. That's the revealing of the thoughts that are in our hearts. And it says, this is who Jesus will be. He is the rock and he doesn't change. So people look at that and they say, well, that's not fair. It's not fair. And you know what? It's not fair. It's grace. If it was, thank God, that we're not getting fair. If we were getting fair, we would be getting what we deserve. Instead, he took what we deserve upon himself so that we could all enjoy what we don't deserve. We could all enjoy his eternal life by grace. By grace, through putting faith in him. So so Simeon stands up and again, he, he speaks this about this child who will stand. And it is who he is. It's who he is today. So we all have that decision and I mean, I pretty much know everybody in here. I know that you've made that decision for your life. But our role now is to be those who take that word out to others. And it's not, it's not preaching a religion. There are all kinds of things about Christianity. We've done, Christians have done horrible things in the past. They're human beings. They've done terrible things, especially when it moves away from relationship with Jesus and drawing upon him and moves into religion and power and all of that, I mean, political power, when it moves that direction, we get all messed up. But when we're standing in that relationship with him, knowing the love of God, being transformed by him and by his word, then we have this role and it's a wonderful role that we can carry that to people. We can, not just getting them to accept Jesus, I mean, yeah, we want to do that, but we can love people beyond our own abilities. We can forgive people of unforgivable things. We can, we can bring truth and we can bring light where there's just been darkness. We can, we can be those people that come into somebody's life that break through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the word of God. We can break addictions. We can lead them into freedom. We can, we can undo hopelessness. We can undo discouragement by bringing that powerful word to people that's really coming out of your heart. It's something you've received and it's coming to life and it's coming out of your heart in a living way. That's an awesome, you know, yeah, it's a responsibility, but what an awesome privilege to be the church of Jesus Christ in the earth. And this is who he was. And we're just going to stop. There's a lot more that we could look at.
But what an awesome deal to think about all these events and on, on. If you read Matthew especially, if you read his gospel, he points out again and again and again, this was done to fulfill this that was spoken all these years ago. That's a big testimony. I got to stop talking. But when you have people that are worried about, well, the Bible's been translated and it's been this and it's been that. Yeah, that's all true. But they're assuming that because of that, it's been all changed and full of errors. Go back and look at it. Read some books on apologetics. Read some books on, they keep finding older and older and older. They keep digging them up. Manuscripts that are all but identical to the newer manuscripts. God is on that word. And he has been on the translation of that word. You know, what has gone down. I believe he was on the gathering of that word into what we have as the Bible. You know, I just, and you can read about this. You can read different authors and and find out the Bible is an amazing, amazing book. And the fulfillment of prophecy is one of them that here were all these, all, these, all these different writers, 40 writers put together 66 books and they come together in one message. It's nothing short of miraculous. It's amazing. Did you get anything out of this today? All right, well, that's good. Let's stand up and pray together and then we'll go out there and enjoy our potluck today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I don't know. You're just amazing. Lord, you are you are awesome. And I'm so grateful today and we are so grateful today that you have made what your word calls so great a salvation available to us. And Lord, as we walk through life knowing you and enjoying your presence, your life, your word, Father, we look around, we see so many people around us hurting so much and we know that every one of them is on your heart that Jesus was born and died for every single one of them. And Lord, we're just asking that we as your church, Lord, just impart to us what we can impart to others. Make it alive in us so that we can bring them a living word and a living example of who you are. And Father, we pray and believe that in this next year, Lord, as darkness grows, your word says grace does much more abound, Lord. So we believe that in this next year, we will have more and more and more opportunities to minister to our friends and to our neighbors. And we trust the Holy Spirit to give us the words to speak and the actions to take. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You ready to go have lunch? All right. We should probably pray over that. What? Yes. (laughs) Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Let's pray over the food. Father, we thank you. For all of the food we have out here, we thank you for this time of fellowship together. We recognize the importance, Lord, of us just sitting down, having a meal, loving one another, building these relationships. And Lord, we thank you. We declare this food blessed to our body's good use. And we thank you for all of the hands that made it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin. The world will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. 
For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.